Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 29. Paul and Barnabas had experienced a wonderful acceptance by those they spoke to about the gospel message of Jesus Christ while on their missionary journey. They had now retraced their steps back to Antioch, where they gave a report to the apostles and the church about what God had been doing among the Jews and Gentiles in all the cities they had visited. However, As I discussed in the last teaching, even though it was clear that God had been doing amazing things through the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, once again there was a challenge to the gospel of grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. There were some Jews who had become believers in Jesus as Messiah who had come from Jerusalem to insist that any Gentile who became a follower of Jesus had to first be circumcised, and then they would become Christians and members of the church fellowship. This is what is known as a works-based faith, which is contrary to what the Bible teaches. This is explained very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our salvation is based solely on the work that Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sin and being raised to life for our justification, just as the Bible says. Our salvation is a gift of God's grace toward us. As the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our last teaching, we considered what Peter had to say to those who had gathered together to discuss and refute the demands of the men from Jerusalem. The Bible says that what Peter shared with them was so powerful that they all listened carefully and remained silent when he sat back down. We will now turn to our scripture for today to learn what took place next. So Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. The word of God reads this way. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. 
Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. As they all thoughtfully considered what Peter had just shared with them, Paul and Barnabas got up and once again began to tell them all of the wonderful works God had done among the Gentiles throughout their missionary journey among the Gentiles. In their presentation, they focused heavily on the many miracles and wonders God had worked through them. Why is this so important? Because the miracles were proof that God was indeed working in and through them, just like it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Additionally, miracles also were given to confirm that they were God's chosen messengers, just as it is written in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, which says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And also, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2-4, through 4, the Bible says this, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. If you will remember, when Peter shared the gospel with the Roman centurion Cornelius, the Bible says that he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he and his entire household. And when they did, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them in the same way that it had been poured out on all the Jews in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Uh, let's read that passage again. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Well, when Peter went back to Jerusalem and shared his report about what God had done, this is what he said. Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So from these passages, it makes sense that Paul and Barnabas would draw their attention to the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of all those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they were Jews or Gentiles. This, too, is written in the Scriptures. In Romans 10, verses 8 through 13, the Bible says this, But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the Word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, after these convincing presentations, James stood up to speak. This was, this was not James the Apostle, the brother of the Apostle John, because, as you may remember, in chapter 12, Herod had the Apostle James executed. The James referenced here was the half-brother of Jesus, who came to believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, after Jesus' resurrection, when Jesus appeared to him privately, as is recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And from that day forward, James became a leader among the apostles, and he was eventually became the head of the Jerusalem Council in Antioch. James had been convinced by the sharing of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, and the convincing proofs that they had provided, that God had indeed poured out his saving grace on the Gentiles, even as he had been so gracious to the Jews. 
in his address to the council. James quoted from the prophet Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. To confirm that what Peter had shared was a fulfillment of prophecy, as it is clearly stated in Amos 9.12, quote, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, end quote. Then James added the powerful observation as recorded in verse 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. This is tremendous. Do you know that God knew you by name and loved you before the foundation of the world was laid? It's true. This is what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. I find it wonderful to know that you, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The fact that God was willing to save us, though we have sinned against him, continues to amaze me. And I'm filled with joy because of this eternal truth that God so loved the world, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Well, their understanding of what God was now doing in the world marks a transition in the understanding and teaching of the church. J. Vernon McGee helps us to understand the deeper dynamics of what James was sharing in our passage before us. He writes this, The day is coming when God will bless the Gentile world through Israel, and they are going to enjoy the kingdom reign of Messiah and will all be united together as one holy, happy people. But that is not what God is doing now. Now he is gathering out the church of God. And when he has finished this special work, that which is spoken of in the prophets will be fulfilled. When this dispensation of grace is completed, when the Lord Jesus comes back again, he will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and will build again the ruins thereof and will set it up he will then bring Israel as a nation into blessing again. In other words, James says, God is working out his own plan, 
Israel, his covenant people, have been set aside nationally because of their rejection of the Messiah. God is now taking out a people, Jew and Gentile, to constitute the Church of God. When he completes this work, the Lord is coming back the second time. That will be the time of blessing for the whole world. So a new day had come, a new dispensation. And while they and we wait for that glorious day when Jesus will return and establish his kingdom sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem, the church needed to learn how to love one another, Jew and Gentile together, and to share that love and the message of the great love of God our Savior to the entire world. In order to help that process to succeed, James proposes four things that all believers must adhere to. They are to abstain from things polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from eating things, food, that were strangled, and to abstain from eating blood. Why were these four things set apart as specific requirements to be followed? Because these were things that the Gentile world actively practiced, but they were highly offensive to the Jew, being for the most part prohibited by the law of Moses. Therefore, participating in these things had the potential to cause division and quarrels among the body. I think we understand that sexual immorality is specifically defined as sin throughout the Bible. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, God specifically said, you shall not commit adultery. In the law, God has much to say about all different kinds of sexual immorality and all being labeled as sin. Paul helps us to understand this on a deeper level. He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, Glorify God in your body. Also, the prohibition regarding eating blood was also specifically prohibited by God. In Genesis 9, God said to Noah, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, 
and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will, will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Yes, life is in the blood. Later, God would list specific requirements and prohibitions regarding the eating of meats in the book of Leviticus. And I could go on and on at great length about the biblical and spiritual implications regarding each of these four practices. But I think you get the point. So James, directed by the Holy Spirit, set these four things as a standard to be followed by all the churches. Therefore he instructed that a letter be written to the churches that had been established throughout the Roman Empire. So let's return to our passage in Acts chapter 15, and I'll begin reading with verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. This letter directly responds to the false doctrine that was beginning to spread among the churches and helps to set guidelines by which they were to live. Keeping the four things was never described as a way of salvation, but rather, now that they were saved, it showed them the way to live in peace and harmony among the brethren and in faithful obedience to God. One commentator adds this, the letter conveyed the agreement of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem in these matters, as well as the great warmth and respect that the Jerusalem elders felt for Paul and Barnabas, who had risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. The letter introduced Judas and Silas, who would also give their account of the decision made by the church leaders. The letter implies a clear leading of God in the decision rendered. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. These decisions should not be regarded as divine ordinances, but rather as stipulations for fellowship 
between the two parties. Their concerns were not so much theological as practical. Well, Paul and Barnabas, accompanied by Judas and Silas, were sent on their way with this letter of counsel, love, and fellowship. We will pick up this uh, portion in our next session, but let me conclude with what I think is an important observation from Warren Wearsby that I think is well worth our consideration for the church today. He writes, Most divisions are caused by followers and leaders. A powerful leader gets a following, refuses to give in on even the smallest matter, and before long, there is a split. Most church problems are not caused by doctrinal differences, but by different viewpoints on practical matters. Christians need to learn the art of loving compromise. They need to have their priorities in order so that they know when to fight for what is really important in the church. As we deal with our differences, we must ask, how will our decisions affect the united witness of the church to the lost? Yes, we must remember what the main purpose of the church is. You shall be my witnesses, Jesus commanded. Remember what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Therefore, I would urge us, you and me, to be always mindful of what God has saved us for and called us to. As Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes, let us love one another deeply from the heart. And let us fervently share the love of God and glorious message of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord to all who will listen as we wait for that glorious day when we will see our Savior face to face. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Heavenly Father, once again we say thank you. Thank you for our Savior. 
Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you, O God, that you do not call us to clean up our lives and then come to you, but rather you invite us to come to you just as we are, to cry out to you in our sinfulness and brokenness. For you have promised to hear and to answer and to forgive. You have shown us your mercy. You have extended to us your grace. And we ask, O God, that you would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us your people, your holy people, and your witnesses to the nations of the world so that they also will hear the glorious message of a great God and Savior who loves each one so very much. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's BibleTimeWithJane, all one word, at gmail.com. So until next time, may you know the joy of the Lord as you proclaim his glory and goodness. May God bless you, my friend.